Hey, it's Johanna Masca, and this week on Press Advance, I'm talking with Tommy Laren. Tommy Laren is the host of Tommy Laren is Fearless on Outkick. She's a Fox News contributor, and she wrote a book, Never Play Dead, How the Truth Makes You Unstoppable. Before all that, she worked with Governor Kristi Noem as her first intern. Kristi Noem has been floated by Donald Trump as a potential vice presidential pick. Kristi Noem has also been working on her national profile with a series of advertisements promoting her state as a good place to work. South Dakota stayed open for business during the pandemic. Now we've got more jobs than people. So I'm filling in until you get here. South Dakota is the freest state in America and the best state to live, work, and raise a family. We accept most out-of-state professional licenses, and we have over 20,000 open jobs, including for electricians. We're going to dive into Christy Nome with Tommy Laren. Tommy Laren is known for telling the truth regardless of what others think. So she tells the truth on Christy Nome, what she's thinking of the Republican presidential contest, and what she wants to see moving forward. Let's dive right in. You got your start in politics kind of with Governor Christy Nome, is that right? I did, yeah. So I was actually her very first intern. It was the summer of my freshman year in college. I came back to Rapid City, South Dakota, and I was her first intern when she served in the House. So that was uh, my first kind of entrance into the political world. I'd always wanted to do journalism, but I realized what it was like being you know, with somebody who has political power, that has a political office. And I saw the ins and outs of that. And that's when I decided I did not want to be in politics myself, but would much rather talk about it. Do you think that it's more effective being on the outside? I think in some ways it is. I think it's important to hold our political leaders accountable. So that's what I always like to do, whether it's on the left or the right or the middle. So I think it, we do play an important role in media and especially in opinion. You know, I, I've never claimed to be a journalist. I went to school for journalism. That's not what I do now. I'm very clearly an opinion commentator, but I spend a lot of time, especially right now, talking about my own political party and the issues that I'm seeing in my own political party headed into 2024. So I think that that also serves as a great check and balance, even on your own side of the aisle, when you can be honest about things and question and be curious Sometimes we're missing that in this political landscape. We are. I read Christy Nome's book. I've, of course, been following her because she was very close with President Trump. And I have seen that you have publicly expressed your disappointment of Governor Nome. What should the public know about Governor Nome? So listen, I think that she had a very bright career starting out in the House. She did a lot of things that I agreed with. I think that she, as governor of South Dakota, had a lot of strong suits, a lot of strong points. I was very happy to see she didn't shut South Dakota down for COVID, didn't have any of those mandates that was great to see, really pushing freedom first. So I will give her that. But there's a lot of things about Christy Nome that do bother me. I just feel that she sometimes is very disingenuous. I think that once she got a little bit of spotlight and a little bit of national media attention, especially because of her handling of COVID, I feel like that got to her head and, and she's abandoned South Dakotans. And I come from a ranching family. So I watched her kind of turn the other cheek as ranchers were going through plight and struggle, only really worried about her own family, ranch and farm. And there's been a lot of questionable behavior that people in South Dakota have seen from this governor. She seems a little more interested in the national spotlight than she does about the people back home. She didn't visit the people in Phillips, South Dakota when they shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. I did. I spoke to them. They were very angry that she didn't really bother to show up, though she talked about it when she got a chance to go on cable news. So all of those things are very 
frustrating. So for me, I just, I don't give her a lot of credit for being a genuine, authentic person. That happens to matter a whole lot to me. Well, I can say the same about Governor uh, Newsom in California, and so we can have that whole conversation. But it is interesting because, Christy Nome, the thing that I was looking at that I thought, well, that's not right, was I think it was one of her family members got denied a real estate license. And so she drug the team into the office to light them up about it. And look, I want, you know, effectiveness in government. And God knows I'm at war with the PE department (laughs) and my son's public school district because they've been showing movies movies instead of, you know, actually teaching the children. So I get very frustrated and I make it very public. So you can get some of your feedback from children, but I certainly ask for no favoritism for my son and I wouldn't want her abusing public office and getting favoritism for her kid. I am from South Dakota and my entire family lives in South Dakota. So I know a little bit more about that situation that uh, I'm not going to disclose just because of the people that I know that are involved in it. There's a lot of discussion about Chrissy Nome and the things that she's done and the power that she's wielded in South Dakota. And I would say that a lot of that criticism uh, rings 100% accurate. I'll leave it at that. When you told your truth on abortion on The View, You said, stay out of my guns and you can stay out of my body as well. And I've got to say, uh, my dad is a NRA member and also pro-choice. So I think he lines up pretty closely with this. But, you know, you were fired by the blaze in 2017 for saying that it was kind of at that era, maybe before cancel culture? I think when I was on The View, I was 24. I think I took them on 24 through 25 years old. So I I distinctly remember spending my 25th birthday when I was just about ready to move to LA after I had left The Blaze. This is something that I talk about a lot in my book, and it's something that I've been very public about. And I had said it many times. I'm not sure why The Blaze was so taken aback by my position on abortion, given that I had said it multiple times on the network and given that I had said it in a New York Times profile piece a couple months prior to that. So this is a well-known thing about me. You know, I tend to be on this issue all about freedom and all about limited government. It doesn't mean that I'm pro-abortion. It doesn't mean that I'm anti-life. It just means I don't think that the government serves this purpose. I don't think that they're effective in their mandates and their regulations to an extent. I think that there's a lot of us that can agree on both sides of this issue that there needs to be a cutoff and late-term abortion is disgusting and needs to have regulation. But I think that just going the all-or-nothing approach on this issue is leaving out a lot of people who, again, exist in that middle area. And I believe that freedom is the way to go on most issues, and this one included. Well, and you're actually consistent. I I think the Republican Party would be stronger with that consistency because there is such an anti-regulatory mode. On this late-term abortion thing, I have such a problem with it because it's so few people who actually have a late-term abortion. And as I understand, it's normally a life-or-death situation that it seems like a very dubious place for government to be involved. Of course, if there's a child that's already born, every effort should be made for that child to live. But when there's a decision between a mother's life and a child's life for government to try to get involved and for paperwork to be involved, it seems like a nightmare. 
Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I, I don't think that, you know, that is the case that Republicans, you know, stand for. I think a lot of Republicans stand for life of the mother and exceptions for rape and for incest. That's where I've always stood on, on that ground. I, I think that there are several Republicans that have been outspoken about that as well. I think that uh, Nikki Haley did a fantastic job in that first GOP debate talking about this issue, being realistic about this issue. I was going to ask you about Nikki Haley, because you've been out there for Governor DeSantis, but Nikki Haley outperformed. So here's the deal. I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley, and people that watch my show know that very well. I do believe that she is a neocon, and I don't like her unlimited funding for Ukraine stance. That's where she lost me in that debate as well, because she got more passionate about Ukraine than she did about the whole of the United States of America. So that bothered me. But on that issue of abortion, she did very well, and she spoke very clearly about it. I like the way that she took Mike Pence to task on that issue, talking about being honest with people, talking about, you know, not giving this false choice. So she did an excellent job in that regard. I wouldn't say that she outperformed Ron DeSantis in that debate or that she won that debate. But on that issue, I think she did a great job. Well, DeSantis jumps in at some point and says, you know, don't treat us like children. Everybody starts yelling at him and it all kind of breaks out in child chaos. And the woman in the room said the most reasonable thing this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, so ask a woman. So you still think DeSantis over Haley? Oh, a thousand percent. That's not even a consideration for me. I think DeSantis over everybody. Again, I think that he's just the most proven leader, stood strong in Florida, did a fantastic job with that state. And I think that he's got the ability to win a general election. Uh, I don't think Nikki Haley has the ability to win a general election, nor would I want her to? Obviously, if my choice is between Nikki Haley and Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris, I'm going to go with Nikki Haley. But she's certainly not even in my top three. But one thing I'll say on the you know international positions that she's taken, I, like you, grew up in a small town where a lot of people from my high school are the ones who fought in the Iraq war. They gave their lives in the Iraq war. And it was a war that frustrated me from the beginning. You know, 9-11 happened and there was obviously a moment, but there were other factors in play. Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, like it doesn't seem like we targeted our response on 9-11 appropriately. Yeah, I'd agree with you wholeheartedly on that. However, I had this incredible you know, opportunity with President Obama to serve him in the position of director of press advance. So you travel the world and you see the power that the United States of America has around the world. And it is the power that fuels the dollar supremacy, meaning everyone trades in dollar. It is the power that keeps stability around the world. It is the force that a lot of us take for granted for what peace and security we have. And so I actually think from the Republican Party, someone who's really smart on this is Mike Pompeo from Kansas, who's talked about the reason to support the efforts in Ukraine is more about our own self-interest, which is we don't want a war with Russia. We'd rather make sure that they're defeated in Ukraine and they have no intention of stopping. What do you think about Mike Pompeo's arguments or about that position, that it's cheaper 
Yeah, I really like Mike Pompeo, so I'll say that. I happen to disagree with him on this issue. You know, $113 billion plus to Ukraine in over a year that we've been propping them up. And it, right now, we're at a stalemate. I mean, they're not winning. They're not losing. Russia's not winning. They're not losing. We've, we're at the point now where how much more money are we going to send over there? And then I also have a big trust issue with Zelensky. I have a big trust issue with where our money is going, if it's being spent accurately, properly, if it's being tracked accurately and properly. So there's a lot of issues beyond beyond just wanting Ukraine to win. I think everybody wants Ukraine to be a sovereign nation. Everyone wishes that Russia would have never invaded, that they could have ended this from the get-go, that it never would have happened. I agree with that. But to continue to send our tax dollars over to Ukraine, $113 billion plus and more on the way, that's frustrating for a lot of Americans like myself who are seeing the problems in everyday communities, rural communities, urban communities, uh, anywhere you go in the United States, there's money that needs to be spent here at home. Well, Tommy, I guess the interesting thing is Russia expected to win immediately. And so in not winning, they actually have lost. Now, how much have they lost? I mean, they've got dissent within their own country. He's, you know, killing the head of the Wagner Group, which was, you know, taking over assets and in Africa. And believe you me, Russia and China have a plan to go in and mine for all the minerals throughout Africa, give the African people nothing, but they use an anti-Western sentiment to do it. So I completely hear your point. But my frustration on the dollar amount is that we've got $280 billion of COVID-19 relief funding was stolen by fraudsters, right? $123 billion of COVID relief was wasted or misspent. I agree with you a whole heck of a lot. I don't wanna see any of our money misspent, but I would say fighting and defeating Vladimir Putin is certainly more beneficial than double the amount in COVID fraud. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right about that. I think that the whole COVID era was uh, idiotic, moronic, any word you wanna use there, apply it to that situation. One of the dumbest eras in American history. But I, I will say this, I, I don't think that we have to say, well, we spent, we wasted a lot of money on this, that, and that, so why don't we just waste more in Ukraine? And you brought up a good point when you said it, that we need to defeat Russia. Well, we're not in war with Russia. So that's the problem here. A lot of us have a problem with the US really waging a proxy war on Russia because we're yeah. fighting on behalf of Ukraine, right? We're not in war with Russia, unless that declaration came down and I didn't see it. So that's where we have a problem. And I think you're right. We are worried about the Russia-China alliance. China, I'm worried yeah. about it, right? So that's why I don't want to be spending billions and billions and billions of my tax dollars to help Ukraine, because we might need a little of that money if Russia and China do form an alliance and come after us. I'd like to have a little bit more of that money stockpiled up. They already have an alliance. They announced an alliance in front of cameras where they said it was mutually beneficial and completely, you know, without any input. I mean, obviously, President Xi is pulling out of the G20 summit, which the G20 was all of the big fiscal powers. With BRICS, they are actively seeking to have their own currency, the Chinese currency, be the global currency. So there are real issues that already signal that it's a conflict with China and Russia, though I think no one wants to see an actual conflict. But could we fight that in Ukraine? I mean, I think you and I could talk about that all day, but you and I know this is going to be an ugly presidential race where unfortunately, a lot of the things that we're talking about, they're not even talking about. 
on the debate stage, which ticks me off. What do you want to see in the future of politics and what do you want to see debated on the next debate stage? Well, I think on the next debate stage, we need to talk about COVID because they're trying to bring back mandates, as we know. I think the left is really trying to convince us that they're not trying to bring back mandates, but on the other side of their mouths, they're putting Fauci back on air and they're masking up students in certain elementary schools across the nation. So I want to hear every presidential candidate, not just the Republicans, but every presidential candidate openly say how they're going to address COVID 2.0 moving forward. I want to know, are they going to lock us down? Are they going to mandate us? Are they going to mask us? Are they going to force vax us? I want to know that. I think that's an important discussion to be had. I think this discussion on Ukraine is one that needs to be had, but also reversing this ugly policy of Bidenomics that is not working for any Americans needs to be discussed. The economy is always number one. And that wide open, pussing, oozing sore that is the southern border, that also needs to be an issue. You've got Massachusetts bringing in the National Guard to babysit migrants at shelter sites. I mean, at some point, this is going to come home to roost for every state, blue or red. And that needs to be addressed on that next stage. Well, and it's not going to get any better because it has to do with the world. And when the world is unstable and we've seen, you know, whether it's um, Colombia get a more you know, socialist leader in the ilk of uh, Hugo Chavez, it's just going to grow. It's a problem that we need to take on. And yet when I listen to the debates, I hear, you know, the same very limited argument, which is like, we need to build the wall. We need to do. And it's like, it's a more multinational strategy that has to happen. And that I agree with you, the Democrats and Republicans are not talking about it together. And that really upsets me because, you know, the Democrats had the last summit of Americas in Los Angeles. And I went to it, you know, still keep in touch with a lot of the Obama folks. And they were bringing together a lot of the leaders to talk about trying to stem migration. Obviously hasn't had a massive effect, but my other frustration was not a single Republican was there. And we have California Republicans. There are a lot of Republicans in California that could have been there. You know, would they go if they were invited, Tommy? Do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. I think that a lot of Republicans on the issue of border security and immigration reform, I think that they will show up to the table. And I disagree with you that there isn't a candidate that's got a solution beyond build the wall because Governor Ron DeSantis has a fantastic solution. And it's, you know what, if these cartels are going to be destroying our country, if they're going to be running rampant and violent and, and hurting the United States of America, he has a great position of using deadly force where warranted to fight back. And I think that Governor Ron DeSantis has shown incredible leadership on this issue. It goes well beyond building the wall. I've been down to the border six times, uh, five times during the Trump administration. I see what happens when you have strong border policy. This is not an enigma. This is not some kind of a, a wild mystery how we solve the border crisis. You solve the border crisis first by enforcing the border, and then all the other issues can be a discussion after that but not when you have a wide open sore and you just continue to let millions more pour in. Where is he going to use deadly force? Oh, I believe with the cartels at, at our southern border. So that's a great start. They'd start shooting people at our southern border? Well, when the cartels are coming into our country and they're a violent criminal organization, how else do you treat a violent criminal organization that's traipsing across your border? You use deadly force. How do you determine if they're a cartel member? Well, I think that there are people that are very skilled in intelligence that can tell you who is a cartel member and who's not. I mean, I mean, they could take them out in Mexico, but we got in a lot of trouble for taking out people. I mean, obviously, especially when it was uh, a U.S. citizen overseas, President Obama got a lot of derision, including from Republicans. How do you do that? 
I'm not saying that you just spray bullets. Obviously, that's an irresponsible that's an irresponsible position to take. However, when you've got a violent criminal organization that has no regard for our national sovereignty or our border, I am uh, highly confident in our American military and our ability to enforce our border and to decide who our enemy is at that southern border and to manage it effectively. I think you'd probably have to way beef up the CIA. And on that, actually, Pompeo has talked on another podcast. We have one decision about you know, a CIA that has the um, risk appetite that they used to deploy. Now, of course, in return, we'll get plenty of Chinese intelligence agencies using that risk appetite. And I don't know what we'll think about that. But we need to have another conversation. We have so much more to talk about. How's it going at Fox after Tucker Carlson? You know, Fox is number one for a reason. We're always going to be number one. I love my network. I love the people that I work with. We're all really strong family there. So it's a pleasure for me to work for this network every single day. They let me speak my mind, whether they like it or not. Who knows? But I speak my mind and I have the freedom to do it. So I'll always appreciate that opportunity. So you don't care about any of the further lawsuits like Dominion that pulled up everybody's email? I'll be honest with you. I am so far removed from all of that. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm so far removed from all of that that I couldn't even speak on it. I can just tell you I love my network. We're number one. We're always going to be number one. And I'm really happy to be a part of the number one team. Well, who is your favorite Democrat to be paired with on Fox News or anywhere? Um, or anywhere. Well, there are Democrats that I, I certainly like. I think Kirsten Cinema is doing great things in Arizona, even though she's, she's an independent. I don't even know now. if she's a Democrat anymore. She's yeah, not. She's, <laughs> she she, she's probably more Republican than certain folks like Lindsey Graham and Mitt Romney, but that's a conversation for another time. But, you know, I love all of our Democrats at Fox News. Jessica Tarlov is always lovely, and I, I love speaking with all of them. We really are a happy family over there. We have disagreements, but they're respectful. And I always appreciate having those conversations. Well, I look forward to doing something else with you, Tommy. It was an absolute pleasure to have you back. Any last words? God bless America. And may we never be dumb enough to mask and vax again. We shall see. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Tommy Laren. Talk to you very soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm grateful to Tommy Laren for joining me. I think these kinds of conversations where we can realize we don't all have to agree, but we can stay curious, they're really important in a time when politics can divide. We'll be staying tuned to all that develops on the race for the White House and all sorts of other races across the United States as they shape up. So follow Press Advance wherever you get your podcasts and let us know what you want to hear. Find me on social media at Johanna Masca. Thanks for tuning in.